I want to tell you about a podcast you should check out. It's called Understood Explains. This season of the show is hosted by teacher and special education expert Juliana Urtube, and it's all about how to navigate individual education plans, also known as IEPs. The latest season of Understood Explains covers topics like how to tell if your child needs an IEP and it busts common myths about special education. As a parent myself of a child who's had an IEP since kindergarten and he's now a 10th grader, I know how confusing, overwhelming, frustrating, sometimes daunting the whole process can be. I checked out an episode of Understood Explains called The Difference Between IEPs and 504 Plans. And what I love about it is how easily Juliana explains everything. She answers common questions that probably every parent or caregiver has. She dispels myths and is concise and to the point. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. And there's a direct link in the show notes if you need it. So when we approach it from a place of, I want to shift this because I love myself and I value myself and I deserve this, it's a totally different energy than when you're approaching it from, I hate this about myself and I'm fearful of what I'll lose or what might happen if I don't change it. You're listening to Make Some Noise Podcast, episode number 578 with guest Crystal Lampett. Welcome to Make Some Noise Podcast, your guide for strategies, tools, and insight to empower yourself. I'm your host, Andrea Owen, global speaker, entrepreneur, life coach since 2007, and author of three books that have been translated into 18 languages and are available in 22 countries. Each week, I'll bring you a guest or a lesson that will help you maximize unshakable confidence, master resilience, and make some noise in your life. You ready? Let's go. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. I am so glad that you're here per usual. I've been thinking a lot about winter. Are you guys like this? I I just, I start, I do this every year. If you've listened to the podcast, you've probably heard me talk about this. Every new year, I feel like I should be doing more in terms of, you know, personal development, women's in power. It's new year, new you. Do this ritual for closing out the last year. Do this ritual for doing things in the new year. And I I, I finally, after several years of sort of beating myself up and feeling like I wasn't doing enough in that regard, I stopped and I'm like, this is just not who I am. And I'm, I'm starting to figure out why. And I've, I've always known that winter isn't my favorite. And I definitely tend to pull back, the rubber band back. And uh, spring is more the time where I feel like it's a new start. It's a new beginning. And, you know, for, for obvious reasons, but I've heard this conversation going on about wintering. Have you guys heard people talking about that? I, it's new to me. And just sort of the, the, generally speaking, it's just sort of the permission to spend winter resting. I guess sort of like when you're in your period. <laughs> not the time to make new goals and hit the ground running and make long to-do lists and set boisterous and huge intentions and to-do lists and things like that. Like If you want to and you feel motivated and inspired, by all means, I'll be over here cheering you on. 
But I I wonder if it's just like this biological thing of just, you know, not wanting to not wanting to do a lot. And so that's where I am. I'm recording this in January. It's the middle of January. And yeah, I just want to rest. I just want to rest and take in the the beauty that is life and nature. And I, now I'm sounding all philosophical. I didn't mean to be. I didn't mean to be. But anyway, if that's you, if you're feeling like wintering, definitely give yourself permission if you haven't already just to rest. And then maybe when spring comes around, that can be new year, new you. But hey, if you need a kick in the butt, I'll, I'll be here. I'll be here to cheer you on <laughs> and hold your hand at the same time. Well, speaking of personal development, I have such a great guest for you today. Crystal is actually a friend of, you guys know Britt Frank. Britt Frank has been on the show five or six times. And uh, this is how I met Crystal. And this conversation, I love bringing you like new ways of healing. And that is where we hit the ground. I just am so excited for you to hear about the kind of modalities that she uses in her therapy practice and that you can look into on your own as well. So let me tell you a little bit about her. Krista Lampitt is a licensed therapist, speaker, and trauma specialist. Her passion is helping others who feel stuck in survival mode to find a greater sense of alignment and self-trust. After years of her own self-sabotage, burnout, and dysfunctional relationships, Crystal was diagnosed with multiple autoimmune illnesses, which forced her to stop, refocus, and change. Now Crystal's mission is to spread hope and to encourage others to never give up on themselves, even when prospects seem bleak. Using a somatic, relational, and neuroscience-informed approach, Crystal supports others in fighting peace, healing trauma, and creating the life they want. So without further ado, here is Crystal. Crystal, thank you so much for being here. Hey, thanks for having me. It's nice to finally meet almost in real life. I guess. Almost in real life. Yeah. Oh. At this point, it's like kind of like same thing. Good enough. Yeah, pretty much. <laughs> we're all real. Zoom friends at this point. <laughs> you and I were talking in our DMs on Instagram and I was interested initially. I think this is how our conversation first started out because I think I saw you post about something called NARM, N-A-R-M, which then I learned is Neuroeffective Relational Model. And yeah. it's like a therapeutic modality. Is that correct? Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So it's can a, you tell tell us about that? Yeah. Because my my listeners, like, we're all very interested in like, tell us the various ways that we can heal ourselves. Because that's a that's our life quest over here. <laughs> <laughs> Let's start there. Such a quest. Um, I know. And there's so many ways. Like, there's so many options now. You know, I was really drawn to NARM because it, the way the easiest way that I kind of describe it, if people are familiar with a little bit of trauma therapy or they're they're in their own therapy and doing their own work, is it's kind of like if Bessel van der Kolk, who wrote Body Keeps the Score, mm-hmm. um, Peter Levine, who created somatic experiencing, and then like the attachment folks, right? Like um John Polby, who first created attachment theory, and when we started to really learn about the importance of relationships in our neural development basically um and like if they all got together and had a baby that would be nar and because it uses some of the somatic elements of tuning into your system learning the way that your nervous system responds to parts of yourself to your environment to your relationships so there is the somatic component to it um but there's also this huge relational and neuroscience component to it as well where we start to kind of understand the way that those two things interact. And 
I think before we really stressed how much attachment equals survival for a developing mm-hmm. brain, this we just didn't have that connection for a long time. And now that we do, and thanks to neuroimaging and neuroscience, we can really see the impact on the brain when we don't have safe connection growing up, when we don't have, or if we have a stressed out mom while she's yeah. carrying us or our environment is failing us in so many ways. And so NARM kind of took all of these pieces together and looked at not only is it going to impact your relationships and your attachment, it's going to impact how your body feels and your alarm system in your nervous system. And so it's been really interesting to just explore the way that it holds these concepts, like what you think is a bad habit or what you think is a character flaw, how it's Mm -hmm. really a, a really intelligent protector. It's a really important adaptive survival strategy that you've developed to cope with environmental failures. Um, So it's just awesome. I mean, it's, it's really, it's been pretty life-changing for my work. Um, And I'm so grateful. I I entered into my career with that background because Mm -hmm. it's just, it's a different lens than the typical medical model or the disease model of, yeah, you've got these brain chemicals that are messed up, Mm -hmm. which that, you know, that's that's a a pill. Yeah. Yeah. there's just more. It, we're we're whole people, right? Yeah. And we're part of systems. And so medication, great. It's another tool and it's another option out there as well. And yes, go to your doctor. I go to my doctor. I encourage everyone to take care mm-hmm. of, you know, body, mind, and soul. And is it possible that some of these things, thanks to the neuroplasticity of the brain, we can we can heal, you know, and attachment's a big part of that. So Okay. I nerd out on this so much and I, I want to, can I ask you, can I give you like a broad overview of like a straw woman and you can tell us like where you would start with this person? Mm, Okay. Yeah. Well, let's just play with it. So the reason I ask is because just this morning I was talking to a friend of mine and she, you know, who's not a therapist or a life coach. And, and she said, uh, she was talking about how she was afraid she found she found one of her patterns and it was that and the reason that I'm bringing this example and I'm sure she won't mind I will not name her mm-hmm. is I think a lot of people can relate to this she's she has found that she's afraid to ask questions in her relationships because what she kind of figured out is she has this massive fear of rejection yeah. and which I think is so common right and so sure. it, you know she talked about something that happened when she was a child it was a scenario where she was exposed to adult things you know that her parents were doing and you know she was asked to lie and keep secrets uh, you know, in order as a child, you would be like, hey, if I don't do this, my parents are going to reject me. Oh, so I better just do it. And then later in her life, she uh, did some digging and found out her husband of many years was having an affair and they ended up splitting up. And so now she's dating and she'll have these intuitive hits about people she's dating and she doesn't want to ask the question because she's afraid of what she's going to find out. So she's afraid of having these hard conversations. And she said that it's also affecting her at work. And she's like, I'm afraid to, you know, like give people hard feedback because I'm afraid how they're going to take it. And I'm, af- and so what I told her is, you know, I can't fix it for her, but just to have to give her some insight. And I was like, it's very normal. Like, I think it, this was ad- adopted from when you were a kid. So where you might want to look with their, your therapist is some inner child stuff and some reparenting to to have compassion and and heal heal your your broken heart and this this these coping mechanisms that you've created. So I just kept emphasizing, I'm like, it's very normal. Like, this is how you are staying safe. Like you've never really mm-hmm. learned to create safety for yourself. You know, mm-hmm. it's been through other people. Again, very normal. So I'm curious, like if she came to you as a client using NARM, like what kind of modalities would you do? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I could be totally example. wrong. Like if you would tell nope. tell her something else. Okay. <laughs> Not at all. And 
it's actually um, one piece that's been interesting is so if you're familiar with inner child work, reparenting mm-hmm. work, IFS, right, internal family systems, somatic experiencing, even EMDR, they all are very complementary to mm-hmm. each other. So a lot of times um, you might be using slightly different terms or words, or you might change the order of how you do things, or which that's going to be any therapist anyway they really complement each other really well. And so I love that you validated and normalized that as like, yep, makes total sense that to a developing nervous system, it feels like life or death yeah. to, to comply with what your people are, your, your, your adult people, right. Are telling you to do or not do or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the first question with NARM is deceptively simple. <laughs> the first question with NARM is always, what is it that you most want for yourself? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a great coaching question too. <laughs> we ask that a lot too, as coaches. Yeah. And what's funny is it seems really simple. Um, and most people will give you behavioral answers, right? So she might say something and let's just, we're just going to make this up, yeah. right? Like it mm-hmm. doesn't, um, she might say something like, I'd like to be able to speak up for myself, right? I'd like to be able to ask hard questions. I'd like to be able to trust my gut more. When I have that download and I just, and I can ask that question without doubting it so much. Um, and so most of the time people will start with these sort of behavioral answers, right? Like I want to be able to um, work out more. I want to be able to be healthier, take better care of my body. Be more consistent. Mm-hmm. Be more consistent, you know, lots of behavioral. And that's great. A CBT, a cognitive behavioral therapist would, would approach this very differently, right? They would hook onto that. They would go, ooh, the behavior, we've identified it. Now let's make a little grasp of mm-hmm. today you're going to do this and tomorrow you're going to do this and then a little bit more of this and like, that's great. And that works for some people. Mm-hmm. Others, when you are so astutely identifying that there may be something coming up around that, that's not just about, we'll just speak up for yourself, right? Because if she could, she just, she would. Yeah. She's smart, simple, successful, capable woman. Yeah. If she could, she'd she be would. doing it. Mm-hmm. She'd be like, oh, okay. I didn't think of that. Right. Mm-hmm. Like. So you have to be so mindful too when people have um, past trauma, which a lot of us have wounds and injuries of how you make these suggestions. Like if a CBT therapist said, have you thought about speaking up to yourself? She'd probably be very offended. So with NARM, what we focus on more often is not the behavioral change that that person is is seeking, but more the emotional feeling state of what they're hoping for. So I might ask her, okay, so if you could speak up for yourself, if you could trust your gut and ask these questions, what would open up for you? What would that provide for you? What's on the other side of that if you could do this? And then we might explore what that is, right? And it might be a felt sense of of freedom, of confidence, of self-trust, of whatever. And in NARM, we have this thing called like the mic drop moment. (laughs) I mean, some people call it this, not everyone. Where when people really deeply connect to their embodied desire, you as the therapist will often feel it in your own system. Mm-hmm. So, and you probably know. Yeah, I have felt that as a coach. Right, mm-hmm. This resonance, right? It's like a, like a boom. Like mm-hmm. that's what it is. That's what she really wants. And I don't know what that would be for her, right? It might end up being like, I just wish I could feel safe. I just mm-hmm. wish I could feel free. I just wish I could express myself authentically, feel confident in that, feel trusting in that, whatever the mm-hmm. feeling state is after. Because even when people are like, I want a million dollars. Okay, why? Like, yeah. <laughs> there's a reason you want a million dollars, right? What what easefulness or privilege or status or... It's the um, feeling you think you're going to get when you get it. What are you going to get from it? Mm-hmm. 
And so then we would work with that. And, and then we create what's called the contract around what feeling state she's hoping for and how we're going to explore that together. So if she says, I just want to really feel more free and more ease in my system, more ease in the way that I approach life. Oh, okay, cool. Well, I'd be happy to explore what's getting in the way of you experiencing that ease. What's getting mm-hmm. in the way of you experiencing that sense of freedom. And then we really kind of track and there's more, you know, there's pro- like pillars and themes and questions, but a lot of it is really inviting that person to drop down into their system Look for exceptions of where have you felt ease? Where is ease already available, right? If it's ease that she's after, for example, mm-hmm. um, or freedom. And exploring what does that feel like in your system? How is that for you to make contact with? And there's also a little bit of that inner child component that often comes up too. Because more often yeah. than not, just organically, right, they'll start talking about, well, when I was seven and I was not allowed to ask these questions and blah, blah, blah. We want to help the system start to realize that it's not stuck in the past anymore mm-hmm. so that it can look at those, what we would call child consciousness or inner child with a sense of compassion, curiosity, with a sense of my adult embodied consciousness is online. So in IFS and in internal family systems, they might call that your inner leader or yourself mm-hmm. with a capital S, right? Your adult embodied consciousness in NARM is that wise self that has wisdom, that has your back, that can protect you, that doesn't feel powerless. Um, And so we start tracking when does your system tap into that even a little bit. And I also try to normalize through this experience because we we do have access to these parts, these self-led parts or these adult embodied consciousness parts. It's just when we don't trust them yet, it's you're going to really quickly go back to the old default pattern of maybe yeah. running and hiding or suppressing yourself. Right. So one of the things I like to really normalize in NARM is that even if we access that adult embodied consciousness in, in the session, and we really explore that and let that settle, let that marinate, like, wow, how is it to be in your adult embodied, you know, I am my age right now. And I'm mm-hmm. so strong and powerful. Um, <laughs> I always normalize And it's okay if tomorrow you wake up and you don't feel this way. (laughs) In fact, I normalize that as part of the process, right? Because part of integration is feeling the thing that you might even want to feel for yourself and then also taking a break from it and disconnecting from it because it can feel really confronting Mm -hmm. to come into that adult embodied consciousness and that power and that that strength or that confidence that a lot of us want for ourselves. Rarely linear process. Oh my God. It's so frustrating too. And that's Mm -hmm. another piece that often gets normalized, right? Is you're like, oh my God, I made contact with it. And like, I feel so strong right now. And I I think I'm just going to go like, go to the gym and like winning. Yeah. (laughs) I'm going to go make all these goals. And like, my life is happening for me. And then like, you go home. Pink cloud. Yeah. (laughs) It's so nice. It is amazing. It's like a drug. Yeah. Yeah. And then you go home or the next day you're like, and I'm back to feeling like I'm five. Yeah. I'm back to. And my my instructor gave us this really nice metaphor of if you just trust that it's part of the process and think of it as breathing. Like, what do you need more? The in-breath or the out-breath? Right. There's not one that's more important. You Mm -hmm. need both. You need the connection to that thing and then also the disconnection from it. Mm -hmm. This is how our system integrates. And if you look at like even little babies, little infants, right, when their brains are exploding with neural connections, they don't like stare at you and make eye contact 24 seven. They don't. They Mm -hmm. when they're taking in their environment, they look at you and then they look away. 
And then they kind of take in like, oh, something shining over there, you know, and then they look at you and then they look away. And that's kind of how we like in this integration process is like, we're going to connect. We're going to have that connection to the thing that you want or the feeling state or whatever it is. Um, And then there will probably be a disconnection because your system needs that to integrate it and to be able to trust it. And can we just normalize this as part of the growing process? You know, your little baby's doing that and you're not, he's not questioning it. Right. Yeah. He's like, cool. I'm here. It's so fascinating. I appreciate you taking that uh, that example. And I, and of course, I was you know thinking about my own life, and I'm like, where where would I start with this? And for me, it's you know a sl- slightly different story. But for me, you know, my primal fear is abandonment. So I sometimes do that too. It's like similar as rejection. It's like I you know, avoid certain speaking up for myself sometimes because I'm like, if I do this, then they will leave me, mm. the child in me, you know, <laughs> for me as the teenager in me, and so. It's I, what I'm looking for, and I say this because I think people might be able to to relate. Is I'm looking for the confidence that I can say whatever it is I need to say or take the action I need to take, and I know that I'm confident that I will be resilient if it does not work out as I want it to, because often yeah. it doesn't. There's so much uncertainty with those kinds of scenarios. And what I, you know, normally when I'm talking about confidence, I tell people one of the ways that we gain confidence is doing the thing that we're afraid of. But when it comes to your nervous system, mm-hmm. it's not as easy. <laughs> Sometimes it's just like for me, you know, getting up on stage in front of hundreds of people. It, for some people, their nervous system w- that would be an absolutely mm-hmm. a, a, a no, no, no. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that's why I love talking about modalities like that because it it is it just I call it the seven layer dip. Like it goes deeper mm-hmm. than just being able to like do exposure therapy. It. Yeah, like. Totally. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's sort of it exactly. I love that. Like seven layer dip, right? Mm-hmm. It's like we're actually dropping down and anchoring into where does this stem from? Not from the perspective of we have to have the exact answer and exact solution and you're broken and we need to fix you. But from the standpoint of can you observe how your system even responds to that fear, that thing that you're afraid of, that rejection, that abandonment, which from a survival perspective, like, yeah, you know, yeah. your your tribe exiling you or not mm-hmm. accepting you you're does dead. equal death. Mm-hmm. Like, that's a very real thing. And so being able to identify first and foremost with a lot of clients, I start with tons and tons of resourcing um, and understanding the nuance between a past day trigger and a present day stressor. Because mm-hmm. even being able to differentiate those can help um, kind of soften the alarm bells, so to speak. Yeah. But if you're understanding like, oh, this is a legitimate stressor of like, I have a presentation to give and I'm stressed about it because the deadline's tomorrow and I'm late and I, you know, like, yeah, that's a legitimate thing that, that needs to be addressed in present day. Yeah. If it's a past day trigger, there might be this additional layer Yeah. And I'm powerless and I have no capacity and nobody's going to like me and all the mean girls. And there's shame in there. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And so when you start to identify though, like, okay, which part of this is actually like, I can handle this piece. And which part of this is my, my inner child needing some comforting or needing some, some security, needing something, right. Needing a Mm -hmm. match. Shit. I don't know when you identify the appropriate like timeline, how old am I feeling? Where is this problem happening in the space time continuum? Mm -hmm. Then you can also come up with the appropriate solution because the present day stressor needs you to finish the PowerPoint. The past day trigger needs you to (laughs) like, just do it. Like, you know, again, easier said than done. Needs you to wrap a blanket around you and say like, it's okay if it's a day late. 
you're yeah. we're still gonna love you. <laughs> like we got to help our system through that and kind of yeah. hold that little inner child's hand while she's freaking out about mm-hmm. it. And like, maybe there are no mean girls. And maybe you even need to like look around in present day and see that there are no mean girls here. Yeah. Like yeah. that's a legitimate thing. And so one thing I like about NARM 2 is that it was actually born out of somatic experiencing. So there is a lot of tuning into sensation and what the body wants to do. Because mm-hmm. when people are talking about change, right? They're talking about a felt sense of change, an embodied change, not just necessarily, yeah, behavioral change too, of course, but also not just like I can do the thing, but I can do it with confidence. I can do it without spiraling afterwards and throwing up my guts, right? Mm -hmm. I can do it with this inner sense of I'm going to be okay no matter what. That's a really common contract that people come up with, right? It's like, I just want to trust that I'm going to be okay no matter what. Mm -hmm. And it's like, damn, same. Yeah. (laughs) Same. Yeah. Okay. When, uh, when you take a quick ad break and when we come back, I want to ask you about self-sabotage. Cool. Let's do it. Oh, Hey everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from toddler purgatory. Two moms who are also actors who are also creative beings who sometimes feel stuck. And now we're back with a whole new podcast about unsticking it launching in January. What happens when life gets in the way of our creativity instead of nourishing it? We talk to all sorts of guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. So join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Get out of there, life gunk. Let us help you get back to your best creative self. Look for Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Wherever you listen to podcasts starting in January, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. Because sometimes life sucks. Feel like you're the martyr in your family? You're not alone. Hey, this is Joanne. And Brie. And we're from the No Guilt Mom podcast. Brie, we talk to a lot of moms. Yeah, we sure do. And if you're a mom who has a to-do list that is so massive that you get overwhelmed and you shut down. Or if you fall into the habit of doing everything for everyone and don't know how to change it, we can help you become a No Guilt Mom. We're going to take you from family martyr to family model. That's role model so that you role model the behavior that you want to see out of your kids. You're going to go from being tired and overwhelmed to energized and guilt-free. Every week, you'll get actionable strategies that you can implement right away from the experts that we interview and from us. We also have a whole lot of fun. So check out the No Guilt Mom podcast everywhere you listen to your favorite shows. I want to talk about NARM all day long, but I'm just going to have to, this isn't my excuse to have you back on so we can talk about different scenarios and maybe I'll have people DM me with, you know, like, here's, here's my thing. Where would we start? But I want to, I want to talk about self-sabotage because it's something I've written about. I think it's something that probably most of my listeners have struggled with, whether they know it or not. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So what does, can you talk about like, maybe what does it look like for you know, a, a woman who's who might be listening to this show and 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 why do we do it? And how can we stop? It's a three-part question. <laughs> yeah. I'll remind you if you if you get lost. Yeah. <laughs> so thank you. I appreciate that. Look table of contents. Uh-huh. 
So first, we're going to talk about what is self-sabotage, right? Mm. And I like to replace self-sabotage, the word self-sabotage with self-protection, because I really don't believe that there is such a thing as self-sabotage. There's only self-protection, right? It's our brain's best attempt at keeping us safe, helping us to avoid pain, and getting through the thing. And so I really think that for most of us, sometimes we don't get to find the exact root cause of where this started. For, for the really self-aware people out there who are doing this work and who are digging into their childhood, they're probably coming up with some pretty solid theories of like, oh, I do this because when I was little, I wasn't allowed to blah, 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 and I couldn't mm-hmm. express myself. And, and now this is how I protect myself, right? So in NARM, which this happens to, to relate quite well to NARM, we call those adaptive survival strategies. Those patterns that you keep coming back to that look like self-sabotage. Like, why am I drinking so much? You know, why do why I keep picking I... the same partner, even exactly. though they look different on the surface? Yeah, exactly. Like same person, <laughs> like mm-hmm. same relationship, same cycle. And a lot of times, one of the things I like to explore with that is, okay, so like, let's name the pattern. Let's say it is the, I keep picking um, unhealthy partners or un- unsupportive partners, whatever. Like, okay, what's right about that? Mm-hmm. What is right about It's familiar. Uh-huh. <laughs> it's familiar. Yeah. I know how to behave. <laughs> you know exactly your role, right? Yep. Like you kind of know exactly where you fit into it. And there can be something very organizing about that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like I know the role that I've been recruited in. And my brain knows exactly. (laughs) I know what I'm going to cry about. (laughs) Yeah. It's predictable. It's like the devil, you know. I've actually never thought about it that way. It just, it's funny. It's funny. Yeah. (laughs) Because I too have picked the same partner in different clothing. Uh Uh Uh-huh. And not realized it at first. But yeah, it's familiar. Same argument. Same tears predictability mm-hmm. same does it feel like and i don't know if it doesn't have to land for you but you know maybe for some listeners does it feel in some ways organizing in in a, in a certain totally and and the, and maybe i'm jumping ahead here but what i have the pattern that i've put together for me is that i grew up with unorganized emotional reliability. So, you know, sometimes I would get it a lot and sometimes I wouldn't, especially when I entered my teen years, it was a huge shift. So I feel, I make up that I have been in a, in my adult life in a constant state of looking for a partner who's the same, mm-hmm. <laughs> unorganized mm-hmm. emotionally so that I can heal my broken heart from before. I put that mm-hmm. responsibility on them completely mm-hmm. unconscious because mm-hmm. consciously course. I know that that's not their responsibility. Consciously, I don't want that. Yeah. You know, I want someone who's emotionally available, but that's, that's what I've come forth as I am in my second mm-hmm. divorce. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> yep. Yay. Learning mm-hmm. another, there's a, there's a phrase, ASCO, another fucking growth opportunity. Yes. I wrote that in, I think how to stop feeling like shit. Yeah. You did. I love, yeah, I love that. I was in there. Mm-hmm. It's such a good one. Cause it's like, <laughs> here we are again. And this <laughs> is that part where like my clients will come in and they'll be like, Crystal, I thought I dealt with this. I thought I figured this out. We already talked about this mm-hmm. and here I am. Right. And it's such a, like, there's such an exhaustion and disappointment that comes with it. And part of the process, you yeah. know, sometimes there is just that part that's going, Hey, we're still figuring this out. So we're going to keep repeating it until we actually master it this time. Yes. Right. And uh, yeah. And I'll tell you what, after my mm-hmm. second divorce, I am like, I'm here for pulling up a seat in the front row to learn this lesson. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> You're like ready. I'm ready. Tell us everything. 
Yes. And sometimes it requires that. Unfortunately, I hate that. I never want someone to have to go to hell and back. I never mm-hmm. want someone to have trauma to get them to the next layer. And yet here we are, you know, sometimes it's the learning isn't possible without that whatever fuckery that we were dealing with for a yeah. while. And so with self-sabotage, a lot of times it looks like that. But, you know, even here as we're talking about it, right, it comes to light. There's something protective about this. There's mm-hmm. something right about this. There's something familiar or organizing about this. And in, in a way, we like that as humans. We like to put things in boxes. We like to go, this is my role. This is what I'm just supposed to do. I'm following all the rules. Sometimes with relationships, I hear people say that it's just they've been, especially when there's abuse, right? With abuse, there's like brainwashing happening and control dynamics and all sorts of stuff that you just, when you're in it, it is very hard, if not impossible to see. And there's such a disconnection to self that we don't even quite see it happening. And then as we reconnect to ourselves and we actually start to feel how we feel in our bodies, which we've been disconnected from for a very long time. Mm-hmm. And you start to realize, oh my God, my stomach is hurting every day. Every every day that I drive home from work and I look for his car to see if he's home, my stomach drops mm-hmm. and I feel sick. Or I'm constantly looking at his phone, wondering if he, is he talking to someone again? And my mm-hmm. whole body tenses up. And so we really just want to get clear on naming these patterns with no judgment. Like, okay, so something about your past told you or or conditioned this tendency into you because you believe that it would keep you safe. And at one point in time, it really did. You yeah. know, I always trust that there was a point in time when you did not have safe choices where it really did keep you safe. So if we can name what it is, start to examine how it feels in your body. Like, how does it actually feel to be in a relationship with someone who doesn't validate you or someone that you can't tell your problems because you know you're going to have to defend yourself as soon mm-hmm. as you open your mouth or whatever that pattern looks like, right? I keep doing this over and over again. And when we start to reconnect to ourselves, again, in that very slow, titrated way that I was talking about earlier, we can start to touch into, oh my God, this actually does not feel good. But it feels yeah. so terrifying and so impossible to leave mm-hmm. or to change the pattern that we avoid that too. And so we kind of do a slow, titrated almost like in in somatic experiencing, um, we call it pendulation, right? Where you kind of titration and pendulation, you slowly access those feeling states that you want and you notice how your body responds to it. And kind of like, I think of it like a pro, like a computer getting a software update, right? You're kind of like installing that new programming little by little. And unfortunately it can't happen like overnight while your phone is plugged in, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's gotta happen with lived experience and new evidence and practice and feeling a felt sense in your system that, oh, it's safe for me now to experience a different pattern, to be in a different relationship, to not sabotage myself, right? To not hurt myself in this way that feels counterintuitively protective. And there's usually very good reason. So it, it really starts with naming the pattern, being aware of it, seeing if we can dredge up any compassion and curiosity around it. I think curiosity is such a bridge to many of these other, maybe if you hate this part of you right now, it would be really hard to tomorrow love that part, mm-hmm. you know, but we could start with hating it less. Yeah, We could start with being curious about it. And one of the reasons why therapy works, right, especially when it's a relational problem, is because that therapeutic relationship might even be one of the first safe relationships that your nervous system has experienced. Yes. So it's getting the resonance and the mirroring of, wow, it is so nice to sit here and be validated. Mm-hmm. And it's so nice to have this person be curious about actually knowing me. 
in, in NARM, we talk about this, this shift from objectivity to subjectivity, meaning how often we treat ourselves like objects, right? We are like doing machines. And again, mm-hmm. when we talk about behavioral changes, right, there's often a very specific productive thing attached to it, right? If I can yeah. just go to the gym, then I'll feel whatever, and then I'll get this, and then I'll get the job and the babes and the money and mm-hmm. those things, right? A lot of times that results in us treating ourselves like objects. And especially if you have a background in this, where if your family system was all about compliance and do what I say, you don't and how it no. looks to others on the outside, appearances, mm-hmm. talk about literal objectification, right? Kind of that we hear about it in sexual objectification a lot and sort of like the mainstream way of talking about objectification. But there's even another layer of treating yourself like a machine sometimes mm-hmm. that comes with this hustle culture that comes with these societal expectations or implanted expectations that didn't come from us. And so when we can start to work with that, again, without judgment, coming from this adult embodied consciousness, coming from this self-compassion, we can start to move from objectivity to subjectivity, where we can start to understand I am my own unique person. I'm going to have different needs than this other person. I'm allowed to have needs. I don't need to treat myself like someone who is going to be put in harm's way or someone who deserves to be put in harm's way, someone who's a machine who needs to work all the time and someone who doesn't deserve care and love mm-hmm. and healthier patterns. But it's a totally different vibe when you approach patterns from, I really want this for myself because I love and value myself versus I have to fix this thing about myself because I hate it and because I'm fearful of what I'll lose if I don't change it. That's a major distinction. I want to pause there for a second and like have people Uh rewind and listen to that again. Because I think knowing my listeners, I think that a lot of them fall into that latter category that you said, Mm -hmm. like I need to fix Mm -hmm. it because I hate it about myself. I've Mm -hmm. been that person. Oh, same. Oh my God. So can you repeat the the other option that they, the perspective that they have? Yeah. So when we approach it from a place of, I want to shift this because I love myself and I value myself and I deserve this. It's a totally different energy than when you're approaching it from, I hate this about myself and I'm fearful of what I'll lose or what might happen if I don't change it. Sort of that love, fear, not to oversimplify, but in a way it's coming from what energy are you approaching yourself with? And I can promise you, if you're treating yourself like an object and a robot and a machine, and you're like cracking the whip, right? Like, just get it done. It, you might get it done. It's an option. Don't get me wrong. That part, my part that does that, she's like a fucking slave driver, right? Mm-hmm. She's gotten me through grad school. She's gotten me through all yeah. sorts of different, <laughs> like, this is like my fourth career. Like, she's on it, right? And what we know is over time, that gets exhausting. That gets yes. draining. My mm-hmm. adrenals were shot. My whole mm-hmm. body was like, it's not sustainable. Oh, no. And so at the same time, right, then the ideal is, oh, well, what if I could do this from a, an energy of love and support and slowing down? But then when I would try to do that, it didn't feel safe for my system either. You have to really titrate this process and meet your system exactly where it is because it doesn't work for me. Someone who I might identify as like type A, like, go, 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 go. It wouldn't work for me to just be like, all right, well, just go on like a two month vacation, like chill out, man. Like love yourself. That would not work. No, (laughs) it would be bypassing all of my protective adaptive survival strategies. And we don't want that either. Right. I think of it as like 
let's not rip away your security blanket. Like, yeah. And you, and you have to be bought in. Yeah. Because especially I think what tends to, and I, I've written about this, like no one beats themselves up into better men or, you know, being mm-hmm. healthier or being more productive, successful, whatever it is. But I also think that, and sometimes I think it's maybe the unconscious part of you, like sees that as bullshit, you know, like, no, 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 no. Like we've been doing it for this long. Even if it's not working, we're going to keep doing it. And I think so much of it is our culture as well, like as Americans. And, you know, I know that like there, I have a lot of listeners in other countries that have similar cultures of just this, this hyper productive, hyper independence, the rugged individualism of like, you just push and push and push yourself. And I think that that is personal, personal development is is no different many times. And so Mm. True. Yeah. It's been a long journey for me to really learn into love and compassion for myself and just a softness around that. Mm -hmm. And as someone who tends to lean quote unquote masculine, just in my personality, it's, it's been, it's been a slow shift and I still work on it. And, Mm -hmm. and just like making all the parts of me believe that if we go this route, love and compassion and kindness to myself, it will be better in the long run. Like it, everything's going to be just fine. Yeah. You have, do you have to like remind yourself? Oh yeah. Your world will not explode. Yeah. And actually now that I think about it and we're having this conversation, I have come a long way. I I think that now my default is more compassion, love, forgiveness, trust of myself. Uh, I was in a very different place, even, you know, eight, 10 years ago. Amazing. Mm-hmm. That's so cool to even notice. It's not just processing the shift. It's also the shifts that you experience. And yeah. I mean, like I wouldn't even let myself cry for very long, like things like that. And just part of it comes with, which is actually the next question I want to ask you, like part of, part of it comes from the community that I've created and surrounding myself with, mm. with people who are just sort of even more naturally like that. I'm thinking of my friend, Amy Ehlers and uh, Amy Smith, Tanya Geiser, like these women who are who are just who I think were born to lean a little bit more into the quote unquote feminine uh, traits and mm-hmm. and and virtues. And so, you talk about social support and how important that is for people who've experienced a traumatic event, whether it's a big T trauma or a little T trauma. So, can you can you talk about that a little bit? This one was tricky for me too because I fully have that indoctrination of like pull yourself up by your bootstraps, figure it out. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have, which you know, often hyper independence can be a trauma response, right? An adaptive survival strategy that's going, I'm the only one who has my back. So I got to count on me. Um, And there's, again, like nuance there. There's a big difference between hyper-independence of I can't trust anyone else to get things done or whatever compared to, I mean, I could trust other people and I'm choosing to do this right now because that's what feels good for me, right? Like there's just such a, a big difference there. We have evolved into needing tribes. It's just part of how we are. Truly, a lot of the research shows where without that connection, our health suffers tremendously. And it's one of the biggest protective factors of even like big T traumas. So they've done research where if you look at um, something that would be considered a massive shock trauma, like a hurricane blowing through your neighborhood or a tornado demolishing a lot of people, when they did this research, who had experienced a objectively traumatic experience, because there was a collective nature to it, and the the people who especially had a sense of community around it, they had neighbors, they had friends, they had others coming forward to help them, 
those people who reported feeling supported didn't end up having PTSD. They Hmm. were fine. They walked away from that natural disaster, like probably stressed out, don't get me wrong, but they did not meet the criteria for PTSD. It was the people who felt alone in their pain. It was the people who didn't have the support, the resources and the social connections that did develop PTSD. Because it's one thing to go through something traumatic. It's another thing to then have the additional trauma of having to process that on your own, which we're not designed to do. We are just designed to, you literally are born from another person. And then what, for the first several years of your life, you can barely do anything by yourself. We are just naturally created that way. It was helpful for me to think of in terms of animals. So with, with somatic work, we talk a lot about the animal kingdom, right? And because they don't have this prefrontal cortex in the same way that humans do, where we judge ourselves a lot and we observe and we replay and we ruminate. Animals don't judge themselves for things, right? They just do what they need to do. And then they're like, cool, I'm alive. I'm good. Mm -hmm. And if you think about every animal is born first and foremost, primarily with the survival skill that they are going to need to be able to live in that herd, let's say. Mm -hmm. So a giraffe can run, you know, a deer is like out of the womb, they're wobbly, but they got their legs and they can run because they need that to survive and to keep up with the herd. Humans are born with the ability to cry. So it is of utmost importance that you come out of the womb crying, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's what doctors will look at is why isn't this baby crying? That could be a red flag because your ability to gain attention and get connection to get your needs met whether it's nutrition, whether it's to be held, whether it's to be comforted, your first and foremost survival skill is the ability to be dependent on other people. It's to cry and get their attention. But we forget that, you know, as adults or as we grow into this world and this particular culture, we're taught that that makes you weak or Mm -hmm. that you shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, we develop more capacities and more abilities. And at the end of the day, we still need other people. It's just we're, we're just wired for that connection as well. And so trying to normalize that and reduce the shame around that, not that being alone isn't wonderful as well, but you still are going to need other people, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't have to be a romantic partner. It doesn't have to be that. It's just, can we normalize that social support is such a huge protective factor from just about everything, including like heart disease. (laughs) Yes. I've read research about that and even like remission from cancer and all of that stuff. So thank you for that. I That could be like an entire podcast episode of itself, but we need to take one more ad break. And when we get back, I want to talk to you about healing and what that looks like. So we'll be right back. If you're a parent, I invite you to join us at the Mindful Mama podcast, where it's all about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. With sometimes hilarious and always thought-provoking experts and friends, at Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have. And when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm Hunter Clark-Fields, and I can't wait to see you there. Listen in to the Mindful Mama podcast. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and 
I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. Okay, I have one more question for you before we close up. And you say, I think you said this on on social media. I read it and I loved it. And I wanted to ask you to say more. You say that healing doesn't mean that you forget your pain or no longer experience it, but instead healing means your pain no longer calls the shots in your life. So can you, I know that's sort of like meta. Can you, can you talk to us a little bit more about that? Like, what is that? What does that, what does that mean and look like? Yeah. So thinking of in parts work or in IFS and, you know, this, I'll butcher this, I'll kind of make my own version of this. An example of this might be your trauma, your wounded parts, your inner five-year-old, your firefighter who's putting out fires, your manager who's really, really rigid, right? These different parts of your system that are doing everything they can to keep you alive. Mm -hmm. I want to pause for a second because what you just named for people that aren't familiar with IFS or internal family systems, the firefighter, the protector, the, the, the manager, like those are all or some of the parts that you would work with a person who's certified in that work to identify, to help you heal. Okay. Continue. Exactly. And so, so when you understand what parts might be coming up, some of them are coming from a place of woundedness coming from, so, you know, like, when you get into an argument with your spouse, for example, and you approach it in a way that later, once you've calmed down, you regret, right? Like mm-hmm. I said some things I did not mean to. That was 100% my inner five-year-old throwing a temper tantrum. Yeah. Like I've, I've admitted that in an argument before. Great. Mm-hmm. Right. I'm, I think we've all been there. And then that part of you that recognized it after the fact, that's your adult embodied consciousness, yeah. right? That's mm-hmm. you in present day at your current age going, Oh, that's my wisdom. Yeah, that's my wisdom. That's my wise mind, my my self led inner leader, whatever you want to call that part. But the five year old, she's still important and valid and still needs care. We just don't want her driving your car. Mm -hmm. We don't want her having the argument with your spouse. Because she is very limited to very specific. She cries, she throws temper tantrums or emotional outbursts or releases, whatever you want to call them. Those are her only tools. She's five. And so when we talk about healing trauma or healing pain or recovery, it's not so much that we like banish that wounded inner five-year-old. We don't want to get rid of her. She's cool. She's great. She's interesting, right? And she has gifts as well. We're not trying to banish her or exile her or make her bad or wrong. We're trying to increase our capacity to embody that adult consciousness that can go, hey, I see you. (laughs) I've got you, girl. Don't worry. What do you need? You need a nap? Mm -hmm. You need a snack? And once she's taken care of, that adult embodied consciousness can go back to that conversation, can go back to driving that car, and they're going to be making the decisions that you actually want in your life as a whatever age you are presently. So the five-year-old, she's great. It's just, we don't want her driving the car. We don't want her making the big life decisions. And so when we slowly access more of this, I often hear clients even say, like, I feel like I'm growing up. Like, this is the first Mm -hmm. time I've felt like an adult. It's like, wow, cool. Okay, what does that feel like? How is that to embody? What do you notice in your system as you name that? It's this really cool thing because you can keep coming back to it. And that's where the self-compassion, the wisdom, the curiosity that I heard you naming as practicing a lot more recently, that's where that lives, right? It's like the most loving parent, the most loving mother saying, hey, when the pain, when the trauma, when the inner five-year-old is starting to run the show, 
she has a secure base that she can keep coming home to that goes, hey, I've got you. It's going to be okay. And that when we talk about healing is the more there's capacity for that, you just have so many more options. Five-year-old mm-hmm. might still come out from time to time, mm-hmm. but you're not going to feel controlled by her. You're not going to feel powerless. You're going to know exactly what it is, and you're going to be able to approach it with the compassion that she needs or that part needs to unburden it from whatever she's trying to fix with her yeah. five-year-old brain. So it's a really empowering place to come to when you start to heal these pieces. You'll still get triggered. Shit sure. will still come up. All the time. It's just not not, not calling the shots, right? That, that part Okay, no I see. I imagine that a side effect of that work is that you then start to see, there's a saying that floats around about relationships that says something like, you you don't really know your partner until you enter some kind of conflict with them and like how they react during and how they continue to react during the conflict and if they repair, how they repair. I think a side effect of this work is also in your relationships with other people, you start to see when their inner child comes out and calls the shots mm-hmm. and they won't leave that place. <laughs> I, I may or may not be speaking from experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get to decide if you're going to leave the relationship or not, exactly. <laughs> if that person is unwilling. Yes. And it's very tricky to be able to lovingly mm-hmm. mention to that person, this might be happening. And yeah, they, are you aware of this? How they re- you know, you might want to look into it. Too, right? No? Okay, that's good information. Good right? information because now boundaries. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And, yeah. they, and, and, and the trick of it all too is it has to come from them, right? You can't be their right. parent or that, that adult embodied conscience, consciousness for them. You can only go off of what you're seeing and observing and what the patterns are there. And I do find that a lot of people, when they start to get really clear on what's okay for them and what's not, Mm-hmm. their bullshit meter gets way, way less what they're willing to tolerate. Right? Yeah. They just start, they detect things and they're like, Mm-mm, uh-uh, I'm not, I'm not here for this. I'm not going to yeah. deal with this. It's, it's, it's tricky it, to, to have that balance of compassion and patience for someone else, whether it's a parent or a friend or an intimate partner and also understanding like what you, what you can and can't. Yeah. Yeah. At what point are you putting yourself in harm's way? And, right. it, and where do you maybe still have some spaciousness and some capacity, right? Where there's a mm-hmm. repair after that it does repair the trust and the relationship yeah. is safe enough. So it yeah. is, it's a very fine balance. I do find that sometimes seeing that other person's inner child can help draw more compassion for them. 100%. And again, from the adult self of, but it's not my wounded inner child that's in a relationship with them, right? Or I right. don't want them to be the one making these these life decisions for me. Mm-hmm. Where do we go from here? Are we on yeah. the same page? Do we want the same things or boundaries? Thank you so much. We are out of time. And I, I always want to ask my guests, like, is there anything that you want to circle back to, to touch on or anything new you want to say before you tell everyone where they can go and find you? Um, you know, I felt like this was a, this was a nice intro. It, it was a lot. Yeah. Right? <laughs> you feel we complete? A lot of we did. And I think there's way more we can touch on for next time. So we this we a can. Nice teaser. You know, everyone like always please know too that you can DM me and you know, now that you know that we'll have Crystal back on and like if there's something that you're you're dying to ask her, please, please let me know in my Instagram DMs. I'm at Hey Andrea Owen over there. And thank you so much again, Crystal. Where can people find you? Yeah, absolutely. I am on Instagram at Crystal Lampet, and my name's spelled a little funny, so I trust that you'll we'll have it in the show notes. That. Yes, you'll have that mm-hmm. in the show notes at Crystal Lampet on Instagram, and then my website is clwellnesskc.com. So you can follow me there with workshops and groups, and you'll find my socials there as well. 
Yeah. So they can learn more about how to work with you. Thank you so much, listeners, for for being here. You know how grateful I am that you choose to spend your time with me and my guests. And remember, it's our life's journey to make ourselves better humans and our life's responsibility to make the world a better place. Bye for now. Hey, did you know there's free secret podcast episodes waiting for you that are not part of my regular podcast feed? Yes. AndreaOwen.com slash free. And you just sign up. You get a link sent to you. It's very secret. It's like a secret club. We don't have a secret handshake. Don't worry about that. But it's these motivating podcast episodes that I made for you. They're under 20 minutes each. There's three of them. They're for wherever you are in your life. So head on over there and grab them. They range from really supporting you and seeing you where you are and being compassionate all the way to giving you a giant kick in your ass and telling you how amazing and gorgeous and phenomenal you are. So andreaowen.com slash free and get your hands on that free podcast feed. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips.